the Why Watch That Talk. We've reached the point at Why Watch That where, I mean, at this point, we is there anything too tough for TV? <laughs> Nothing's too tough for TV. It has determined to be the long-standing, everlasting, ever-growing, and ever-annoying thing to keep up with here oh, at Just sucks the years right off the <laughs> face. Yeah, and don't um, go on vacation. And Just don't go don't on do vacation. It. There's no way you're going to survive <laughs> the titillating <laughs> toughness of TV. Maybe that should be the title. I don't know. Um, We're going to talk about TV, folks, as we always do here at Why Watch That. We've got, yes, the series, series premieres, season premiere, uh, season finales, where people are dying, apparently, (laughs) (laughs) on these shows. Mm. Um, But first, let's start with the series premiere portion. Uh, Click, Um, which is a new show on Pop. I know you guys don't watch pop very often, but you should. Yeah. Um, because it's got shows like Click. Yes. On it. <laughs> it's and one of your favorites. Really? Oh, and of course, we're talking and about Shit's Creek. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but you did. <laughs> Shame on you. It's S C H I T P. I forgot. Thank you. That's right. That's right. Click is new on Pop. It's uh, already renewed for a second season across the pond. It's just like six episodes, and you can watch it. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, Critic. Well, um, there's Georgia and Holly, and they've been best friends since the age of 11. Now they're 19-year-old first years at the same college in Edinburgh, Scotland. <laughs> Holly's the serious one, and she's very smart. In contrast, George is the outgoing devil-may-care free spirit. So when Holly decides to enroll in an economics class taught by the straight-talking Jude McDermott, Georgia just follows along. Hey, I'm going too. Now, this is no ordinary class because Jude uses it as a way to mine for talent. For female students who will stand out in the class, there's a chance at an internship at the company Jude co-founded with her brother, Alistair, and it's called Solister Women's Initiative. Yeah. Now, Solister is a big deal in the financial world, so competition's fierce. Now, the key to being offered an internship is to ingratiate yourself with the clique of interns already at the company. And to Holly's surprise, that's exactly what Georgia does. Oh, of course she does. Holly can't believe that Georgia would do that, especially since Georgia wasn't interested in the class in the first place. Mm. Now, Georgia tells Holly to stop being so jealous. Mm. Now, in response, Holly sleeps with Sam, the musician uh, that Georgia had a crush on. Oh, my gosh. That's that's a great solution. (laughs) But, But look, something not quite right is going on at the company. There are all kinds of signs that dangerous things are afoot, signaled most notably by the tragic end of Faye, one of the company's star interns. So after Georgia becomes the first student in the new class to earn an internship, Holly becomes concerned for Georgia's safety. 
And then Holly becomes the second student to earn an internship, of course, by piquing the curiosity of Jude. So the question is this, what will Holly find out about the company now that she's an intern? And what's the real reason behind her concern? Does she really care about Faye's terrible end, which she discovered, along with the clique's illegal immigrant driver? Does she really care about Georgia? Or is she just out for herself? Also, what's going on with Jude and her brother? And what's going on with a seemingly unstable guy who works at the company and who warns Holly to stay away? He had similar warnings for Faye. And what's going on with fellow student Elizabeth, who knows everything about the clique and seems to be just within earshot at all times? Now, watching this show, everyone, it's like watching The Craft if the characters were in college instead of high school, and if you didn't know that they were witches. Okay. <laughs> okay. In this show, the characters act concerned and mysterious and all, but it's not quite clear why. And of course, Holly has this mysterious past that she's been hiding ever since Georgia became her only friend. Okay. Now, I'm sure that the creator, Jess Britton, would say, hey, that's the point. But here's my problem. Not knowing exactly what's so special about Georgia and Holly makes it hard to understand why the clique, which is this group of modelesque and observant females, why, uh, and uh, along with not just them, along with Jude and her brother and the males who work at the company, why would all these people even care about them? I mean, yeah, Georgia's fun, Holly's smart, and supposedly they look the part, but everything happens too quickly for that to be enough. Now, as you mentioned, Ref, there's only six episodes in the first season, and Pop has made them all available in their app and on demand. So that's something. Also, they are effective at making you feel the tension. But again, what's the foundation for that tension? They'll probably get to that, of course, but they should have started with it. Ooh, okay. Smackdown mm-hmm. on the click. Season premiere of Patriot. It's back on Amazon season two. Yeah. Now remember, this is uh, don't this is not a Patriot that we all want to you know betray. <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep on this Patriot's good side, from what I understand. Yes. But we're back for season two. Yeah, and it picks up right where season one left off as State Department Intelligence Officer John Tabner has to decide whether to give up on pursuing the money that Luxembourg police detective Agat, I think is how they say it, Agat Albans, confiscated from him. Now, if he decides to give up, then he'll be free from the burdens of his job in the pursuit of the Luxembourg police. But he'll also leave out in the cold his congressman brother Edward, who's currently being held hostage, or so he thinks. Mm. His father, Tom, who's also his handler, and his country. After all, the whole point of getting the money is to be able to deliver it to the right people in order to avert nuclear proliferation in Iran. Now this is 2017, keep that in mind. So what do you think John decides to do? Oh, uh, who knows? And that decision leads to further and further complications, including kidnap children, letting his wife in on what he really does for a living. Guess he's not really a materials engineer at that industrial piping firm. Uh, Having to deal with his drug addicted boss at the firm who never liked him because obviously he can't do the job. And his boss now has an ax to grind with him after the ridiculous events of season one. 
he's has to leverage the over eagerness of his coworker at that firm and who's supposedly his friend. And this guy is now entangled in this plot. He's got to deal with the appearance of his mother, who's a high ranking government official. And with all of this, he's got to try to stay uh, not only awake, but also alive long enough to bring everything to a satisfactory conclusion. Hmm. Now, look, if you're thinking, huh? Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) This is the kind of show that might be for fans of the Coen brothers. It is a very dry, very offbeat sense of humor and non sequiturs abound. Also, while the lead character played by Michael uh, Dorman can't ever catch a break, he always manages to remain calm about things, detached even. And like him, there's a matter of factness about everything here that provides a nice contrast to the complete craziness of the story. That's how it generates its humor. However, I will say that there's a lot of meandering going on. So if this show doesn't click with you um, after about two or three episodes, move on. For those who find themselves intrigued and amused by it early on though, you'll probably feel like you've discovered something, an imperfect something, Uh, but just know that it's going to take you down a wormhole with no end in sight. Oh, I don't like worms. (laughs) Moving on to season finales, Badoos! One of my favorite and not favorite titles of a show. It does sound like a very absurd comedy, but it's not. It's the total opposite. Remember, this is on HBO. It's already been it's already been renewed for a third season, which will be its final. And instead of it being in the 70s, it's going to be set in the 80s next year. But for right now, we, you know, need to say ta-ta to the deuce. Yeah. And flush that one away. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hey, look, moving on. By the end of the second of the three seasons, as you said, of the dues, things are looking, <laughs> things are looking up. Okay. And looking down. Oh. It's the late 1970s, and the pimps are finding themselves on the outside looking in as pornography begins to take center stage. The mafia has its hands in more and more ventures, and the officials in the New York City government and the heads of the police want to clean things up. But can everybody get what they want? And amidst it all, the nightlife in New York City is exploding. But what about our cast of characters? How have they fared? Well, for former prostitute Candy, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who delivers a multi-layered performance, Her gambit as a director of a new kind of porn film has paid off. She's getting a taste of mainstream success that she doesn't want to let go of. But but she has a son back home who lives with her parents, so how does that impact him? Mm. Well, Twin brothers Vincent and Frankie, played effectively by James Franco, find themselves enmeshed in the mob more and more. Now, Vinny wants out, but he's too valuable for the mob to do that. He also wants to be able to do his late night thing and maintain a family at the same time. Now, he already had a family that he left to pursue his passions, so it's hard to take him seriously. Plus, his open relationship with Abby, played with Steel by Margarita Levieva, is going through some changes. You see, Abby's tired of the prostitution thing and the mob thing, which Vinny finally came clean about. And Abby's friend Ashley, a former prostitute, met a tragic end after trying to save other prostitutes 
from the perils of the job. Jeez. So Abby's thinking it's past time to be respected and she always has a plan. Now for Frankie, his investment in Candy's movie seems to have worked. Mm. If only it kept the mob out of it. Then there's Cece, the pimp who feels his power slipping through his fingers, which is exemplified by the burgeoning porn movie stardom of one of his prostitutes, Lori, played by Emily Mead. She's the lead in Candy's movie. Now, Lori's fear of Cece knows no bounds until she receives some unexpected news. And that moment is executed beautifully by Emily. Now, Emily, now, Cece isn't the only pimp in trouble, though. Rodney, well played by Cliff Method Man Smith, is in the thrall, <laughs> is in the thrall of drugs. So he concocts a scheme to rob a drugstore. It doesn't end well. Okay. But on the other hand, things do end well for Larry, played by Gabigna Akanabe, who's a pimp in transition. He has <laughs> acting chops, which Benga conveys hilariously. And he's lost his taste for street life. Plus, the prostitute he's closest to, Darlene, played by oh, and with a play by uh, Dominique Fishback, and she's very natural in the role. I like that. Oh well, boy. She's is that a moved, compliment? <laughs> it is. <laughs> now She's moving on in directions that she only dreamed of in the first season. Then there's Jean, an official in the Coke administration who wants to clean things up just enough so that the money that's coming into Midtown can work its magic, but he has his own secrets. And there's also Detective Chris Alston, played by Lawrence Gilliard Jr., who wants to help Jean succeed, but Chris is no fool. Now this leaves Paul, who's a close friend of Vinny's, and who's found success as a proprietor of a gay club without the help of the mob at first. Plus there's Vinny's and Frankie's brother-in-law, Bobby, who's been completely corrupted by the criminal element, despite having a wife and kids at home. And there's no turning back for him. So overall, the Deuce has made significant progress narratively, and it will continue to do so as it moves forward, as you said, into the 80s in its next and final season. Now, as a viewing experience, it's good if you don't mind the subject matter. However, I will say that sometimes it's too focused on authenticity at the expense of the immediate conflicts. But again, that's sometimes because on the other hand, there are plenty of moments when authenticity and committed performances meet, and that's when it's at its best. Hmm. Well, I'll leave you to that. <laughs> Moving on to kidding, which is on just kidding. No, kidding. <laughs> Kidding. On Showtime, renewed already for season two. Yeah, this is Jim Carrey's Kidding. And I, it's a very creepy Mr. Rogers, I hear. Just yes. extremely creepy. I don't know why I can't commit myself to watching this. He just really creeps me out. But mm-hmm. you did. You watched all 10 episodes. And I'm sure you're going to give us the lowdown. I'm kidding. Yeah. And by the end of season one... Uh, beloved children's TV program personality Jeff Piccarillo, whose stage name is Mr. Pickles, still oh, can't... that's even worse. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, look, he still can't catch a break. Of course, he's still coping with the death of one of his twin sons, and his ex-wife is very serious about taking things to the next level with her super great boyfriend. While his girlfriend dumped him after she survived a very real cancer scare. Now, his remaining son is turning into a teenager right before his eyes. And his father, Sebastian, who's also the executive producer of his show, wants to control him more and more. Sebastian looks at Jeff and thinks, hey, this guy can't be trusted with the product. 
So Jeff and Sebastian constantly clash, most notably in regard to how to promote the Pickles brand. Oh. Jeff wants to level with kids about the tragedies of life, while Sebastian wants to stay on the lighter side of things and make money, which is exemplified by his idea to create Mr. Pickles on Ice, oh. featuring the very real Tara Lipinski, who's oh. more than willing to parody herself into such a great sport. Now, literally. Literally. Now, don't forget about Jeff's sister, Dee Dee, who wishes that people would appreciate her talent as a puppet maker and who has trouble dealing with her husband's infidelities with another man, oh. all while raising her young daughter who's caught in the middle. But here's the question overall. Can Jeff find a safe space to be himself and to grieve, or is he going to snap? Now, while this show was created by Dave Holstein, it has the stamp of Michel Gondry's work. After all, he's the director of six of its 10 episodes, and he's one of its executive producers. So of course it's a trip. But is it a trip worth taking? Huh. Well, this show has hits and lots of misses. As far as the hits go, I find that it's at its absolute best when it focuses on Jeff as Mr. Pickles. There's a magic to those sequences, including spot on music, that the rest of this show can't quite match. Those bits have warmth, wonder, insight, and that's why they should sprinkle much more of Mr. Pickles and his puppets into everything else. I mean, why not show what Jeff's thinking and feeling in real life via songs and sequences in Mr. Pickles' fashion? Why not do it that way? Right. Right. I mean, you got Michelle Gondry, you got Jim Carrey, so you can pull that off and make it transporting. Otherwise, it's not quite clear what this show wants to be. And oddly, I can't help but feel that this show holds back creative, creatively in its presentation at times, which is in contrast to the story, which tackles grief, loss, and love head on. Uh-huh. It's also in contrast to each episode's opening sequence, which is always fresh and inventive. Now, there is a sequence in the middle of the season finale when Katherine Keener, as Jeff's sister, explains how she creates puppets. And as an accompaniment to her lines, they show different scenes from the season with puppets taking the place of certain characters. That was funny and quirky and unexpected and beautiful, inspired and feeling, fearless. And that to me is what this show should always be. Plus that sequence thankfully set the tone for the rest of the finale. So maybe they'll push things a bit more in that direction in season two. And if they do, this show will go from merely having a few beautiful moments to being something beautiful overall. Ooh, okay. Mayans MC yeah. is back for its second season next year. Mm. Well, it's not back now, but it will be. Yeah. It's on FX. It just finished its first. Now remember, this is a spinoff of, of Sons of Anarchy. Um, so we do get to follow, I can't remember the character's name, but you're going to tell us, mm-hmm. um, that we've seen before, but now, I mean, it's done. W- where are we at with this show? And, and are you looking forward to season two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look, it's come to this. At the end of the first season of Mayans, things have changed, which means they seem okay, but they've really got worse. We now know why former college student Easy turned into a cop killer. And it does involve the Sons of Anarchy. Hey. Oh. 
We also know that the unfinished business that landed him in prison and then in the hands of the DEA and DOJ will cause even more trouble in season two. The reason why is that one of the bad guys from the show Sons of Anarchy has returned to wreak havoc on the Mayans. His name is Assistant US United States Attorney Lincoln Potter, played by Ray McKinnon. Oh. Who in real life is known as the creator of, wait for it. You know what it is. Rectify. I know it. All right. Well, look, Link forces Easy and his brother Angel to commit an unspeakable crime involving their cousin, Kevin Jimenez, who's also Easy's DEA handler. But that crime doesn't go as planned, so Link has to save the brothers, which gives him the opportunity to ask for another favor from Easy in the future. Now, if Easy refuses, he'll either go back to prison or wind up dead after being outed as a snitch to the Mayans Motor Club, or both. So Easy has no real choice other than to comply. And you may be thinking, hey, how can an AUSA get away with that? Well, Link says that under the current president, all of the gatekeepers are gone, so everything's fair game. <laughs> okay. Huh. Now, another problem that develops is that Easy and Angel aren't seeing eye to eye after, um, well, Angel found out that Easy and his father, who has his own baggage, kept him in the dark in regard to Easy's deal with the feds. Mm. There's also Adelita, who used the brothers and other Mayans to exact revenge on the Galindo cartel. And at the end of the season, Adelita has found the truth about the death of her family at the hands of the cartel and has exacted her revenge. Also in the process, she struck a deal with the current cartel boss, Miguel Galindo. Now remember that Miguel is also married to Easy's former girlfriend, Emily, and his cartel does business with the Mayans. Oh my gosh. Awkward. Very. And of course there are other goings on for the Mayans that I'm not gonna recount. So here's the thing. The show's pace is just too slow. Come on. And it's slow, not just in regard to moving the story forward, but also in regard to the delivery of the lines. Now, this was a problem for Sons of Anarchy as well. As a result, the actors seem to be posturing for no good reason. And things can get unnecessarily awkward. Everyone needs to pick up their lines and the writers need to come up with more material or stop coming up with episodes that last over an hour and a half with commercials. Oh my gosh. Now, they can get away with this faulty pacing for some, because this is a show that's fueled by plenty of testosterone. So the incessant pausing could be mistaken as some sort of male brooding and or bravado, but I know better. Uh And the sad thing is that they have a story here, if only they knew how to tell it. Oh, geez. Okay, well, we'll see if next season picks up the pace. But meanwhile, (laughs) we're at Woman in White. Oh boy. Now, Woman in White, you finished it. I mean, who knew that you would do this? I don't, I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> now, I started it. We talked about it uh, not too long ago, and now it's finished. It will be finished soon uh, on PBS in a couple of weeks. But if you get Passport from PBS, you get access to full seasons all at once. Yes. So the full five episode miniseries is done for the ref and ref, 
You're going to tell us whether it's worth all five episodes. <laughs> uh, Zoics. <laughs> okay, so as as the critic said a couple weeks ago, Woman in White takes place in the 1800s in England, mm. um, in the countryside, where, of course, you have this mysterious woman in white roaming the woods. Uh, and we're trying to figure out who the heck she is and why she is and what she's doing. To pick up where you left off, mm. you have the character uh, by the name of Sir Perfect. Uh, uh, no, let's start with this. We have Marion Halcom, Laura Farley, and then you've got this very uh, young Walter Hartwright. Now, Walter Hartwright was is a painter, and he comes out to the countryside to teach um, Laura Farley and Marion how to paint. Now on his way remember he ran into the woman in white and she's crazy and deluged and he's worried about her turns out she's pretty infamous among the countryside there's a big mystery surrounding her there's also a mystery going on with laura who he does fall in love with mr hartwright because she's engaged to like a 40 something year old man mm. why who yeah. did is she get excited about it? Mm, she's not. <laughs> Mary and her sister also isn't excited about it because this Sir Pervical, uh, so, so, no, what's his name? Sir Percival. Uh, Percival, yes. Sir Percival is hiding a secret. Mm. Now, as you progress through onward through the series, you find out what his secret is, what he did to, what he does to hold his secret, and does it endanger the life of Laura, Marion, and of course, Walter Hartwright? Mm. The answer to that is yes. Yes. Very much a danger. Then there's this Count Fosco who shows up and he too has a vested interest in the <laughs> potential union between Laura Farley and Supervical. Supervical, what's his name again? Percival. Percival, that's right. Now, Percival, he does some dirty stuff, and you're mm. gonna find out what that is. The question is, who survives? Oh, his dirty-handed scheme. Is the count in on this? What about Walter Hartwright, who fell in love with Laura? Is it too late for their relationship? Mm. What about Marion? How does she play a part in all of this? Well, at the end of it all, the dust settles, and you are utterly indifferent. <laughs> So, now for the review. Listen, PBS, you're all you're known for your historical, um, you know, spouts with 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 uh, miniseries and TV shows and things of that nature. So if you have it, I'm gonna sit down and try to watch it. Now I found myself yelling and screaming at the TV because these people are so like the characters do some very. I won't say stupid because that's not a good word, but things that you just like, why are you doing this? You know, she's poisoning you. You know, she's going to die. If you do this, why are you running in the woods? Why are you falling while you're running in the woods? Why do you trust this person? They clearly don't have your interest in mind. Why are you screaming? Why are you yelling? So why are you watching that? I, I, I don't know. I asked myself, ref, why are you watching it? And here's the bottom line. If you're interested, seriously, 
If you're interested in period pieces, mystery, uh, you know, who, not who done it, but why, why do I care who does it? I mean, if you're interested in that, this is for you. If not, you know, move on in life because PBS has Poldark, which I hope we're going to talk about. It also has like, you know, Victoria and other things. So, you know, woman mm. in white, we just fade to black. Yeah, it faded to black for me in episode three. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Poldark and PBS, let's stick with that. Let's wrap this up. Season five. It's renewed for season five. Yeah. Four is finished. And again, as the critic was saying, if you have um, if you have some sort of subscription to PBS, if you're donating to them at least $5 a month or $60 a year, you can watch and binge it all at once. And that's exactly what we did. Um, I tell you what, the end of this season, there's no cliffhanger. I mean, something <laughs> happens that it changes the entire show. So how did we get there, critic? Wow. Yeah, and and just just like with the woman in white, this is still uh, airing on PBS the station. So it's a couple more weeks if you don't have passport or something like that, as the ref said. But look, at the end of season four, we're taken back to the past. Uh, Visit old friends. It was nice to see them. It was. I liked that and to understand what's happening in the present and what will happen in the future. Oh. Because at present, the turn of the 19th century is upon us, which must mean that change is afoot. Sure enough. Captain Ross and his wife Demelza have each lost someone dear to their hearts. Oh. But will that strengthen their bond or rip them apart? Oh, boy. Also, the ever-so-stubborn Ross was forced to contend with a threat to his marriage and his life by one of George Warleggan's friends and fellow MP. George Now, Ross can be a hothead, so of mm-hmm. course, things look dire indeed. Plus, George is always on the prowl. So much <laughs> so that he orchestrated the downfall of the bank of Ross's friend. But whenever George triumphs, Ross finds a way to win in the end. Also, George's wife, Elizabeth, knows how to manipulate George to do and think what she pleases. She sure does. And this time, she must use her wits and charm and fainting spells to keep George from disowning their firstborn son after her firstborn son pulled the wool from George's eyes regarding George's son's possible parenting. (laughs) Now... Elizabeth's up to the challenge, but her schemes on that count may prove to be her undoing. Uh-oh. On the happier side of things, though, the good Dr. Dwight and his wife Caroline weathered a terrible storm and yeah. now wish to grow their family again. Oh, I was so happy about that. Yeah, can we leave them alone, by the way? Please, let these people be happy. Dwight's been through so, through so much. I love Dr. Dwight, leave him alone. Leave him alone. And speaking of leaving people alone, the pitiable Morwenna. Oh my gosh. I and Demelza's ever so patient and optimistic brother Drake have <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally found their way to the marriage altar after a supposed tragedy occurred. Mm-hmm. You know what? I was, I almost clapped after I saw that. <laughs> I was like, giddy up, horsey, giddy up. <laughs> no more sniveling from someone anymore. <laughs> and there's always Ross's servant, Prudy. 
who can barely contain her exasperation in the face of the vicissitudes of rich people's problems. <laughs> Even still. <laughs> For the season to come after this season's conclusion, which might shock some viewers. Oh my goodness. The stage is set for a new kind of battle between Ross and George, and this might be a battle for the ages. Listen, I, if I were Ross, I just would slowly back away. <laughs> George is unleashed. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think overall, Rep? You know then, what? You know. Listen, listeners, I know we talked about Women in White, and I was not a very kind to it. It's because of shows like Dark. And, you know, obviously Victoria, but Poldark is just one of those sneaky shows that the first couple episodes of the first season, you're thinking, what am I watching? What is this? I see one more strand of hair blowing. (laughs) We have to look over these clips one more time. Like, stop it. But it really, truly has grown on my heart. And I really think, listeners, that if you're interested in the merry mesh between soap opera and, or a historical soap opera, that's basically what it is. Yeah. You will enjoy Poldark evermore. Now, if you want to, say you don't want to, say you're not interested in getting a, so a, like a, a passport, a PBS passport pass by donating. And remember, that's tax deductible. But if you're not interested in doing that, you can go to Amazon if you have Amazon Prime and you can catch up on all three seasons of Poldark currently. And season four will come probably sometime in the spring. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in dabbling a little bit, go to Amazon Prime. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, we are so in sync on this show. And look, the thing is, it's obstacle after obstacle after obstacle for Ross and Co. That's what it is. And then you got George, who's going to make them earn every scrap of happiness they can find. Oh, yes, it is. And I don't know what's going to happen in the next season with him. I, I mean, you really. Know what? It, it, it's going to, he, that actor has to have <laughs> my hopes. He's going to have so much fun. He's going to grow horns. Okay. <laughs> now, the great thing is this. The writers of this show, they have a cast who's going to go wherever they want to take them. And they're going to do it without question. <laughs> These people go, oh, you wrote that fine by me. Uh, It's fine. And that's what makes it so entertaining and watchable amidst all of the ridiculousness. This is what they do. They make you want to get on a horse. Yes. And ride across the English open spaces by their side. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to grow my hair so I can whip with them. You know what? (laughs) Your hair back and forth, giddy up, giddy up. Now, listen, listeners, as I was saying before, it's really, it's, listen, by this, by this time every year, we're always overflowing with TV. So guess what? You know what you need to do. Why do I have to keep reminding you every week? Mm. Don't you let that TV get you, girl. You get that TV. 